Welcome to the Crafting Impact Podcast. I am your host for today's episode, Joshua Gray. In this episode, I am talking to John King. John King is the co-author of the New York Times number one best-selling book, Tribal Leadership. John is an expert in organizational culture as well as leadership. In today's episode, we talk about how to create a thriving organizational culture, whether you are working in a large corporation or whether you are a coach or entrepreneur yourself. John gives an excellent explanation of the five stages of tribal culture. The third level, uh, you would think that it's all about being connected, but what it actually is about is it's about, we, the more I looked, about personal domination. John also provides us with a wonderful exercise that helps us craft our impact each and every day. So the first question is, who am I? And that question you're asking is, what are you going to choose today as the virtue that you're going to model? We also talk about many other interesting subjects, such as how to actually craft your own impact into the world and much more. In other words, the idea that knowledge is power is really kind of a myth at a certain point. Masters are really interested in uh, the wisdom because wisdom gives access to freedom. Enjoy the episode and make sure you share this episode on social media and with your friends and family so they can get the benefits of this amazing knowledge as well. Welcome, John. So thank you so much, John King, here today on the interview. Thank you so much. Well, Joshua, thank you for inviting me. It's my honor. And John, you've helped so many organizations really improve their culture, improve their tribal bonds, so they can help to start to create more of an impact when it comes to their business, their organization. Now, a lot of companies that are struggling to make that impact are also struggling with their culture and to have those strong bonds. Where is a great place for them to start, to start to really raise that culture up? Well, thank you for asking. That actually is really a thoughtful question. Uh, the thing to realize, and the thing for CEOs and C-suites and, and boards to realize, is that everything in business is downstream of culture. So once you get the context of your business is the culture of your business, then you have an opportunity to actually thinking about how am I going to design this in a way that it uh, fulfills on our mission, fulfills on uh, what it is that we want to actually uh, accomplish in terms of our vision. And once you get your head squared away and uh, organized around that, then it becomes, okay, uh, even though it's not easy, uh, it becomes simplified in terms of the issue is what do we do to elevate our culture? And yeah, that's so powerful, elevating the culture. So if you know a company was really struggling on trying to figure out a place to start, where would you recommend for them to start? Well, I think you start with it. I think you start with an analytic. I think you actually start by uh, diagnosing what the deal is. That was... Uh, when I started working with this uh, a number of years ago, Joshua, I actually didn't know the question to ask. So I was asking that kind of question that you're asking. Didn't know the question to ask. So what I did is I gathered data for nine and a half years from about 25,000 different sources, uh, that is people uh, over uh, the course of about 83 different organizations, profits, nonprofits, public, private, the whole 
uh, ball of wax. And at the end of the nine and a half years, I realized I wasn't any closer to uh, resolving the question or even getting to an answer. So I just started slicing and dicing the data. And the, as I thought, you know what, I'll just let the data tell me what to look for and what to ask. I found something really interesting. Uh, when I looked at the data that I had been collecting randomly, you know, for nine and a half years, I found out that every organization uh, creates itself and falls into five or six different layers or chunks or stages. And uh, at the time, uh, I was very impressed by Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, where he talks about things like level five leadership. And I saw that there were these various levels of culture that were happening and they were organized inside of uh, people's language, their vocabulary. And I saw that I've done a lot of traveling in my life. And, and uh, if you've ever been to Switzerland, one of the things that happens in Switzerland is people in a valley speak a certain dialect of Switzerdeutsch. And then you go over the mountain and down into the next valley and they speak a certain dialect, but it's slightly different from the one adjacent to it. And you go to the next valley and they sweep, sleep, uh, talk something uh, that is like the second valley, but the first valley can't understand them. They're too far away. And I saw, you know what? It's like that inside of the cultures of, uh, that arise almost naturally in any given company. There's the stage one where people are organized around the, the idea that life sucks. And there's about three or 4% of the people that are, you know, kind of life sucks. And there's not, you're, gonna, you're not gonna say anything about it. Uh, there's nothing you can do with it because they're right and they're right that they're right. <clears throat> but that's not you, that's not me. And then there's the next stage up, stage two, it's a jump. But the next stage up uh, is, uh, it's you and me on a bad day. And when it's you and me on a bad day, it isn't life sucks, it's my life sucks. I can see that yours is working. And if I had your, you know, your youth or your MBA or whatever, it wouldn't be that way, but I don't, so it does, so my life sucks. So that's you and me on a bad day. The next level up is you and me on a good day. So we have those days, we toggle between good and bad days. On the bad days, we're ineffective. That's how we know it's a bad day. We're spinning our wheels, we're working hard, and we're saying, my life sucks. Uh, on a good day, or at a good time during the day, because we go in and out of these phases, uh, we say, I'm great, and you're not, and I've got the stats to prove it. And we have a profound relationship because we're useful. We have a profound relationship to those on a comparative level who are having a bad day. That's how we know. So I know myself to be, I'm great, you're not, because I look over and I say, you're having a hard time and you're ineffective. And, uh, and they're, they're engaged around something. In the first level, life sucks. People have an experience of being alienated. In the second level, <clears throat> you're not alienated, but you have a feeling of being separate. Like for example, when you went to middle school coming out of elementary school the first few days, your life sucked.
because you weren't related to people and you were kind of separate from others. And until you got hooked up and connected, uh, it was not great. The third level, uh, you would think that it's all about being connected, but what it actually is about is it's about, we, the more I looked, about personal domination. So stage one, my life, life sucks. Then two, my life sucks. Stage three, I'm great, you're not. And the terms are alienated, going to separate from, going to personal domination. And the stages are named uh, undermining at stage one, at stage two, ineffective, at stage three, useful. And we give all our trophies and goodies to the useful people. But then I also noticed in the data that, uh, and by the way, the percentages are about 3% at the bottom, about 20, 22% at stage two, and almost 50% at stage three. So that's about 75% of everybody that's working in every organization, pretty big number. But it turned out that there were always people in the organization that were important, that actually knew how to create partnership with people effectively and could create stable, effective partnerships and who had a, uh, a, a point of view that they had adopted that is we're great together. And those are the people who became the leaders. And I began to realize that that stage four, we're great together is where leadership actually begins as a conversation. And if I can put together a group of people who are honestly collaborative and we're great together, then what we get to do is we get to do the stage five projects in life, which are the historic projects. So it started, Josh, with how do people talk? And when you go in and you diagnose them, all you do is listen to how people are talking. And you listen through their words to the real meaning behind their words. And you'll find out that by and large, most people are operating inside of uh, either a function called I'm great and you're not, and doing the two things that, that human beings do, which is they wanna look good and be right. Or they're actually separate from and they're struggling and being ineffective and they're, uh, my life sucks, but then there are the 20 or 22% of the people that are operating inside of we're great together. And when we are great together and we pull a project together and we start working on it and start working on the distinctions that are key to the project, we have an experience, life is great. So those are the five stages that I saw uh, originally. And then after that, I began to see the structure of those stages and uh, so on like that. So what you do is you, you, you listen to how people are talking. To, this is the long way of answering your question. Uh, you listen to how people talk at the stage. You take a look at how they're surrounded and connected up. And you see if what they say is correlate to their structure. Because structure never lies, but people do lie. So they tell you that they are a we're great win-win-win kind of organization. And then you see it when push comes to shove, that all kind of goes away and it becomes, I'm great, you're not. And it becomes, oh, my life sucks, like that. So we take a look at how they're structured and we take a look at how they talk 
And then we work on that. That's very fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing those, all those stages. And I think that's really useful for people to have that understanding, understand, you know, what those different stages are and how organizations and people move through them. And these days with everything going on, with how we're all separated with what's going on with the COVID pandemic, what are some ways that organizations and people can start to build these, you know, lines of communication a little bit more, a little bit more easily now that we're not all in the same place physically? Yeah, that's, that is really a key question. Uh, I happen to be working on a couple of interesting faraway projects right now. Uh, I'm working with a bank in Uzbekistan, and I'm working with the people who are the upper management of this bank, and it's huge. There's 40,000 employees. And so I've got about a little over 200 of the key workers that I'm training uh, in doing this. And, and one of the things that we do with them is we train them to uh, work across uh, disciplines. So I want to get them into conversations. I want to get the managers in, conversa uh, in the operations area in, in uh, conversations with the financiers, in conversations with the administrators, in conversations with the support personnel. We want to get people into them. So we put them into something we call triads. And a triad is a group of three people who are organized around the same idea and have the same uh, kind of commitment to the mission or to the vision. So uh, a simple way of thinking of it is to think of the three musketeers, where they said all for one and one for all. Generally speaking, when people get together, they're not very good at this. So that what they do is they, uh, they, these are the people who will say, I'm very good with one-on-one -on -one with people, but I'm not so good in groups. Well, the reason they're not so good in groups is because they do something called, uh, in the psychological literature, it's called a troika. Uh, you and I come together and then we find somebody that we wanna work on and what we end up doing is scapegoating that person and that's the basis of our partnership. It's a way of surviving that we learned when we were in uh, middle school and people continue to do it. <clears throat> so we have three levels. There's three people that are kind of hanging out on a cool idea, that's a trio. You have uh, the situation where people go two on one and they scapegoat the one, a troika, or there's the true triad where three people are as one committed to the same vision and mission. That's what we're going for. And that's the basis of stage four. And the skill set is putting together people and getting them to share their values, share their life really. Uh, uh, go beyond the business and really get into each other's lives and take an honest to God interest in the health and the wealth. There's five areas that to take an interest in their health and the other's health around them that they're working with. Really to pay attention to the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of their relationships. To do whatever it takes to build the passion that you have and the others have. Uh, one way of thinking of it is I'm looking for your pilot light and I wanna, I wanna actually set you on fire and then I wanna pour gas on you. 
So that, and then the, the fourth way that we uh, do it is we work on uh, uh, working with each other on our mutual self-growth and development. And then the fifth way is uh, we make sure that whatever we're doing is going to be a contribution back to other people. Mm. So working in those five areas in the stage for modification, and it starts with groups of three. Why? Because uh, the fundamental original uh, fractal or geometric design that is stable is a triangle. Mm. So, uh, you know, if this is us, and you're on this side and I'm on this side and we meet each other, well, we'll behave ourselves. We'll be good kids and we'll behave ourselves until something happens because what we don't realize is inevitably something always happens in relationships. And when it does, it goes like that. Mm. When it goes like that, this person says my life sucks. And this person says, I'm great, you're not. Mm. And then the rest of the relationship goes like this until they divorce each other. So it's an unstable thing to be in a dyadic relationship. The triadic relationship, the triadic relationship that you and I have, Joshua, is uh, that you know, you're a strong, bright, intelligent, uh, contributing person over there. I'm kind of the same thing over here, but both of us together are committed to an idea that's bigger than both of us. And that idea, is actually empowering our relationship. So that's the basic fractal of a relationship is that there are at least three elements and that they are empowering the others. So that's what you do. You build these triads uh, with people, which is training them. See, it's kind of like everybody thinks they're a good driver. No, they're not. <laughs> and everybody thinks they're a good team member. No, they're not. What they are is they're, a, they're a, a good team member if they get to play star and supporting cast, but you don't get to play that. What people are not good at and weak at and don't see is they don't see that they're not effective and productive as partners. And I don't mean the kind of partner you run into a business where it says junior partner, senior partner, because that's just a nice way of saying master slave or stage three, stage two. I'm saying as uh, co-equal uh, uh, people in an egalitarian project, you and I are co-equal in this project called this interview, uh, we have an honor and a respect for the other person. Uh, there's a dignity in the relationship and we're building something together. Mm -hmm. So we begin to understand uh, profoundly what it is to be a partner and what it is to be a partner is that there is some kind of noble cause or vision or mission that is uh, empowering our relationship. And when that's over, our relationship is over. I love that, that concept, what you're talking about right there, John, in terms of, you know, having something bigger than yourself to kind of focus on and using that to help really raise up relationships. And I love that your, your impact that you are looking to make on this world, that this positive impact that you're making on this world is raising up these relationships, organizations, um, different people in order to allow them to really go out and do what they're best at doing. And how did you actually come about to realizing that this is the impact that you wanted to make on the world? Uh, 
Well, I will tell you that it wasn't by design. Uh, I mean, I always wanted to do well, and like you, you want to do well and stuff like that, but I was kind of fumbling my way through. And what happened was that I was blessed uh, to have extraordinary teachers and models in my life. So when I was 13, uh, there was something I wanted to do a lot. I wanted to dance. And I had uh, a person who believed in me and got me enrolled into ballet theater school so that I could go to the best of the best of the best. And uh, it caught me on fire. Later on, I had a teacher, a history teacher in high school, a man named Thord Nielsen, who lit me up about learning and about inquiring. And then later on, I had someone who was, uh, uh, as I was starting to teach and, and develop myself, uh, as a person who could contribute back, uh, who believed in me. And uh, he uh, trained me to lead seminars. And he would say things to me like, uh, uh, he said, you know, there's a, he said, John, do you know that there's a, there's a television show that was called Mr. Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? I said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to go lead the seminar up in Santa Barbara. And I said, okay. He said, but John, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is Santa Barbara. It's nice, 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 nice. And I said, okay. He said, I want you to blow up the neighborhood. And what he did is he allowed me to swing out and like teach, you know, and do things authentically. So I've had along the way, great support to do it. It's nothing that I did that I do. I have, I don't think I've ever created anything in my life. But what I am pretty good at is synthesizing ideas and taking in ideas. And what I am pretty good at is I'm contributable to. And so I can take it and I can go, oh, and then sort of break it down so it's easy for people to learn. So basically, I'm a teacher. That's fantastic. And for people who are you know, looking to make their own positive impact in the world, what is your advice for them? Uh, wow. I've, first of all, I just want you to know I'm blown away by the quality of the questions you're asking, Joshua. Oh, thank you. Uh, I would say that what you do is you do something that I call the, your daily W's. Okay, the daily W's are five questions. And the, and the mnemonic for the five questions is who, who, what, who, what? Who, who, what, who, what? The first who is who am I? You wake up in the morning and you don't know who you are. You may think you know who you are. You're waking up into a world that seems somewhat familiar, but you don't know who you are. All you know is you need to go to the bathroom and maybe get something to eat and get ready for the day. So the first question is, who am I? And that question you're asking is, what are you going to choose today as the virtue that you're going to model? So the virtue being courage or temperance or justice or prudence. What is the courage that you're going to model today? You resolve that question, and then you go to the second question. And the second question is, who are my partners? And what you look at is you actually take a look at your parents and your grandparents, because what you are and who you are is a function of the dreams and aspirations of your parents and grandparents. And then you look at your children and grandchildren, whether you have them or not, you will. And uh, you look at them 
and you you actually have a contract with your children or grandchildren to leave them a legacy. So who are my partners? My parents and grandparents, my children and grandchildren, the people that are in my circle, my close friends, the ones who support me, and the people I'm going to be working with today. So you actually get yourself present to partnership before you go to work, and then you go to work. And when you go to work, you are now in two other questions. So that's the who, who, who am I, who are my partners? The next question is, what are we building together? You ask the question and in the background of every conversation that you're having, like the conversation I'm having with you right now, the background question is, what are we building together and who do we touch? So we are in a, every bit of this interview and every bit of your day and every bit of my day when we're interacting with others is what are we building together and who do we touch? And then at the end of the day, when you lay your head down on the, on the pillow, the question is what difference does it make? So who, who, what, who, what, who am I? Who are my partners? What are we building together? Who do we touch and what difference does it make? That's where I would start. Oh, that is a really, really powerful tool. And I'm definitely going to start doing that. And I love the, you know, the who-who that start the day in order to help prime yourself, as you said, towards partnerships. That's so fantastic. And then it helps you know, bring yourself to that stage four, that stage five, like you were talking about at the start, which is amazing. Now, John, when you were starting out, if you can go back and if you could give yourself some advice when you're first starting out from right now, what would some of that advice be? Uh Listen, uh, communication, learning, and all progress begins with listening and ends with speaking. So what I would do is uh, I would give uh, young John the advice uh, to stop being such a jerk because I was a jerk. You know, I was a, I was a bright and talented guy. And, and so I kind of lived in, I'm great, you're not. And that was, uh, I, you know, there's no reason ever to change from I'm great, you're not, because everything's working for you. But uh, I fortunately had some people who kind of uh, uh, stopped my clock and, uh, uh, you know, and sorted me out in that area to where I could begin to see uh, where I was. And it really was grounded in that I knew what I knew, and I knew that I knew what I knew. And anything that I didn't know, I knew that I could move it into the area that I knew that I knew. So I was completely in that world and arrogant in that world. What I didn't realize that all opportunity, all of the openings, all of the magic of life uh, lives in a world of where I don't know that I don't know. And the only way I can access that is by bumping up against it with other people and having them illustrate it to me. And the heart of that is listening. That's really powerful. I think we could all deal with and do with a little more listening and learning from other people. And just like this interview, I'm learning a lot from you. So thank you so much, John. And another question I have for you is when it comes to people who are running very small businesses like solopreneurs or coaches, how would you recommend that they start to build these powerful cultures for themselves and for their client base? Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, 
first of all, to stop looking at themselves as a solopreneur and realize that what they are is the CEO of a, of a brilliant board of advisors and start surrounding themselves with people who have expertise in areas where they're weak uh, and getting coaching and filling in the holes in their game that way. But even more than that, having people around them that they have uh, character-based relationships with, qualitative relationships with, where they know that this person has got their back and they know that this person will talk straight with them no matter what and have regular time on a weekly basis, uh, spend time talking to the people who are your trusted advisors or your coaches, whatever. I have, I'm a solo guy myself in a certain sense, except that I've got nine coaches and I'm about to uh, enroll a 10th and that's gonna be you because I want someone in my life who thinks the way you do. You're not thinking driven by knowledge. You're thinking, seeking wisdom. And mastery is a function not of knowledge. In other words, the idea that knowledge is power is really kind of a myth at a certain point. Masters are really interested in uh, the wisdom because wisdom gives access to freedom. And the point is to get free. And uh, my notice about you is that you're a guy who's interested in mastery and is looking for what is the wise kind of way to be participating in life rather than the knowledgeable way. So I would say do that a lot. Well, that is you know, such a great answer. And I'm you know, honored by that. Thank you so much, John. And I really agree with you that you know, we all need people that we can connect with that would help us kind of give us that outside perspective. Because as you said before, that what we don't know, what we don't even know that we know, don't know, that is what really holds a lot of us back. And that is a lot of times our weaknesses, the things that we don't see within ourselves and other people can really help give that perspective. And have you really found that with your coaches? Uh, yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I, I, one thing is that I'm very, uh, I'm very clear that the people that I surround myself with and really listen to deeply are people who see life from a much different perspective than I am. And I'm also real clear that my relationship with them is not built on agreement. I don't need to agree and I don't need to have them agree with me. What I'm looking for is uh, a moral ethical kind of conversation where we can find something to align upon. And if I'm in the conversation with someone uh, that is an aligned conversation, then we can design something together and I can get value out of it and they will get value out of it. Uh, I stumbled on this when I was younger. Uh, my wife and I, her name is Kathy, my wife uh, and I uh, had a daughter named Krista. Krista was about two and a half years old and it was time uh, in Kathy's world that we put some structure into Krista's life. So how it worked was, uh, Kathy had a degree in child psychology. Her mother had owned a dance studio. She had worked with thousands of children. Her father was a pediatrician of a famous clinic. You know, she, she knew something about kids. I uh, was a kind of a hippie who thought that if I just kind of, my, my 
position was that if we just pour water on her head, she'll grow up and she'll be great. <laughs> so Kathy and I were arguing behind this because we couldn't come to an agreement about how to manage the ongoing, you know, raising of our, of our daughter, Krista. And then Kathy asked me this amazing question. She said, how do we want her to turn out when she's 18 years old? And the second she said that, I was freed up because I could begin to design the daughter that I was really committed to having. And when Kathy heard that, she was moved. And she said, well, I'm for that. And it turned out we were aligned on the same outcome. And what I discovered was that it was okay for me to pour water on her head. It was okay for Kathy to be the structure Nazi because we were headed for the same thing with this beautiful child. But beyond that, I learned a principle called in all conversation, except science, uh, but in all conversation, what we're looking for is alignment rather than agreement. And that agreement is the source of all argument. That's really powerful. Yeah, it was a huge one. It was a huge one for me. You shared so much knowledge and so much wisdom in this interview. So I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule, John, to talk with me today and to share your knowledge with myself and our listeners as well. So thank you so much for being here today on the show. Well, thank you, Jeff. I just want to say that, first of all, it's an honor and a privilege. Second of all, uh, you're worth it. And third of all, uh, it's not time out of my busy schedule when I get to talk to people as smart as you are. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, John.